you don't want to put the stress on other people because then it makes you feel like a burden. They shouldn't have to take care of you because the system's flawed. I get so annoyed with trying to figure out just caregivers when I just want to go to work. Welcome to the Upgrade Medicaid podcast, the podcast about managed care and those who are affected by it. In this episode, we talk to Shelly Jaspery. Shelly is a resident of Ames, Iowa, who works at her local co-op. She is currently in a place where she is too independent to receive certain kinds of care, but not independent enough to live life to her fullest without that care. In her own words, Shelly says she just wants to live her life and not have to worry about getting the care that she needs. Without further ado, I will let Shelly take it away. My name is Shelly Jaspering. I'm a C7 quadriplegic, broke my neck, uh, lower part of my neck, 2005 from falling off a bridge so I wouldn't get hit by a train because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I require somebody to come in and help me with normal daily activities in the mornings and night. And then just other health issues that you have to think about, like the things you eat because you don't have stomach muscles and how it's going to affect infections and all that stuff. So it's just you have to think about more stuff. Can you explain to me some more specific activities of daily life? Mainly, um, I shower three days a week. That way I know when I'm going to get a shower. And then the other days I just get assistance with dressing, stretching, checking skin, transfers. I'm pretty independent, but I am technically a quadriplegic. So there's things that I forget I can't do until I try them. (laughs) And things I just can't do safely by myself. Are there any like examples of that? Just certain little things that I try to do. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot quad hands <laughs> and things like because they work so well when I I might do something pinch wise and it doesn't quite work. I actually went to a specialist out of Craig, which is a big spinal cord injury hospital. I went there for the first time and they were surprised how good my shoulders were, my rotator cuffs. And I said, that's because I get assistance with things because they said a lot of people with my ability might try to do more. And I try to do sports and things, but I know my limits and I try not to hurt myself so that I can do more because when I get older, I'm going to need more help. So. so what kind of stuff do you do day, during the day? I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> um, I like to get out of the house. Like, I feel like I accomplish something when I do more. And I get out and I'm like, oh, yeah, I ran this errand, I ran that errand. And so if I stay at home, it's usually because the weather that I'm like, I try to do stuff around the house. Because so every little thing I do, I'm like, cool, I can do that. And I try to tell myself that because I'm like... You know, my hands didn't work at first. I'm like, I couldn't have done this 14 years ago or whatever. So that's cool that I can still do that (laughs) or do that now or whatever. So I try to do stuff that not makes me feel normal, but kind of, you know, because I'm like, I can still do this. You know, I'm just because I'm in a wheelchair doesn't mean I can't, but it's just harder for some things. So one time I wanted to do a video shoot all by myself just to see if I could. So, like, I packed up all of my gear that I could fit onto my chair and, like, rode the dart bus and made a documentary 
about my friend, but it was like the most ridiculous amount of work oh, yeah. to just shoot a simple video mm-hmm. because I was determined to like set up the tripod all by myself and I just wanted to see if I could. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. You want to try it. And so there are things that like I can do, but it, it takes you a lot longer. It's a lot more work. It wears you out. So it's like they taught me how to dress myself, but like I tell my caregivers when I'm trying to train them, the more I do for myself, the more I'm just going to want to sit around all the rest of the day. <laughs> so if you help me get up, I'm not exerting all this energy and you're able to check my skin and stuff better, then I can go do more. And sometimes I've found that, like, there are certain things that I'm really good at that, like, my energy is well spent on. Um, And then certain things that somebody that's able-bodied can do in about a third of the time that I can. And it's just not the best use of my time to do that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, at my job, I have to, like, sometimes, like... I remember we had to stuff um, envelopes for a deal that I was doing, like an event. And it takes me, like, five times as long as one of our student workers. And it's like, I've got so much other crap that I can do and get a bunch done today and make one student take 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Or I could take three hours to do this one thing and get half my crap done today. Mm-hmm. It's like, this doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, I want to be as efficient as possible, even at work, yeah. I'm like, if there's something that I'm doing that I'm like, is there an easier way to do this? Um, or, yeah, if somebody able-bodied... Because, um, yeah, it's not like they're going to have me stocking shelves at work. It would take me forever. But that's why they have me doing what I do. What do you do? I worked at Weedsfield, the cooperative, when I got injured and I was working full time. They did a lot of fundraising, which helped me to get a van. And then I went back to work probably by May and I've been part-time there ever since. A lot of administrative kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like uh, pricing, um, checking invoices. I know a lot of the products and I'm good with numbers. So like I'll be out at another store and I'll see something we sell and I'm like, Ours is cheaper. <laughs> I learned I get that from my mom because we were out somewhere. And she's like, you can get it this place for this price and this place for this price. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's why I can do my job, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I really like it there. I am I work three days a week. Uh, I always wanted to own my own business. What business did you want to start? I like retail. I've always worked retail. So I sew. So now I just do the farmer's market. Um, so I've actually worked with Voc Rehab with their business program. So you actually had a store for a little while. Yeah. So there was this tiny little closet basically that I had that was in a building that had a bunch of other like offices and some retail and a sandwich shop and stuff. And it was downtown. So if my van didn't work, I could roll there if the weather was good. I had some hippie clothing and stuff in my store too that was... Um, things I bought out of catalogs because there's no store like that around here. So I thought it might be interesting and it, it went over. Okay. I mean, there was just a lot to it in the first five years of most any business, you don't make money. So I just kind of winged it. <laughs> I tried that for a little while, about three years, but I was scared to get off social security and not be able to pay for caregivers and things like that. Would you like to work more? Yeah. I love sewing my headbands and my sewing projects and stuff. The thing is, is I can't go and self at someplace by myself, but I can only get help with showers and this and that. So I don't think I can get a caregiver to go and help me set up a tent. 
to vend out of. So I have to have a friend do it. And then if the event lasts six hours, obviously I only need them to set up and tear down, but it's hard to get somebody that will just work for that short amount of time and then come back. And so I just, I can't figure it out because I don't know what I'm allowed to have because I've just always gotten the minimum so that I could live life. And I haven't thought about the extra because I don't know if I work more, what'll happen. I don't want to, I don't want to lose benefits before I feel completely comfortable because I, I'm anxious. It can all sound great on paper. So you go to Voc Rehab and you learn about all the programs. And you're like, great. Yes, I'm going to do that. And then what happens when you get in that system and then you end up needing more help and you have to quit your job because of your disability. Can I do automatically get put back on that? You know, I can't lose my house. I'm not going to lose my house um, over some stupid loophole. So is it fair to say the current system and the way it's set up um, makes you scared to live life to the fullest extent? Definitely. I never expected to be 42 years old, living off Medicaid. I was working full time. You know, I never had the best paying jobs, but I made it work. Now that I need assistance, I don't have the schooling to go out and get a job that's going to pay me $100,000 a year in order to be able to pay for care. And they say it costs about $100,000 a year to be a quad with all the little things if you paid everything out of pocket. You know, at least my job is flexible. So that's why I stay part time. Plus, I I couldn't do the accounting part. I couldn't, um, I needed assistance in the store. My dad always had to come and shovel for me. My parking spot wasn't always available. The building wasn't all that accessible. Um, so it was a good learning experience to try something like that because we have those programs in Iowa. But I decided after I got my Habitat house that my parents were helping me a little bit too much and I should take one thing off the table. <laughs> yeah, they're good at helping me with a lot of stuff, but not they shouldn't be, have to be my caregivers because we don't have that kind of relationship that works out. So anything that I can take off their plate because they're retired now, it helps. When we expect family members to care for individuals with disabilities, we're talking about multiple people's lives that are affected. At the end of the day, um, those people shouldn't be expected to care for us without compensation. Yeah, I I mean, not everybody's equipped to do that kind of care. You have to be able to adjust your relationship and work with people well. And it's hard when you've been very independent and then you have to depend on others and then it's somebody you know well and you have a different type of relationship with. It can really affect the relationship. Um, can you, as much as you're comfortable, talk about, you know, some of those? Well, it's just hard because... Um, you don't want to put the stress on other people because then it makes you feel like a burden and they don't think of you that way, but you feel that way because then they can't live their life. And I mean, a lot of people lose all their friends when they become injured because people can't, don't know how to deal with that adjustment. Luckily I have a lot of good friends and you don't want to put too much on others because you don't want to burn all your bridges. When you want to be a friend with somebody, you don't want that person also to be your caregiver. Yeah, no, because I go on trips with friends, and I know that they're not my caregiver, so I might not do all the stretches and ask them to do every little thing because I know they're not being paid, and they offered to go on a trip with me. I started dating somebody right after my accident. 
So he just turned into too, too much of a caregiver. And I'm like, you have to do this. If it was like two o'clock in the morning and there's nobody else around, he's like, I don't have to do anything. And I'm like, that's true. And so I had a reality check. Far worse with like intimate relationships too. Yes. That caregiver element of things can in a lot of ways get in the way of like the aspects of a relationship, especially an early relationship. Um, it's complicated. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I I was just excited that I could still have a relationship. <laughs> so I was like, let's try this. And he was lonely and I was lonely and trying to figure out life. And we tried it for a little longer than we probably should have. <laughs> but when people want to try to be in a relationship, they should have a fine line of how much caregiving they really want the person to do. Yeah, and those are boundaries that are, that are hard to set. That's not a textbook. No. <laughs> and you get stuck in a position where you're like, I need your help. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and so you just go with it, but it's not necessarily what you normally would do. And it shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to take care of you because the system's flawed. If they want to, great. But if my parents were to go out of town and I need to call my friends and coworkers just to get to work, the system's not <laughs> not working. And you, you end up relying on the same people and then you burn those people out and then run out of your options because they would say, what's your backup plan? Well, the state should have a backup plan. When things come up and a caregiver calls in sick and the agency says, well, we don't have anybody. Use your backup plan. Well, if that's your friends and family, then what happens when they're not there? They're out of town and stuff. And what happens if you just had a really bad day the day before and you made them so mad that they're like, I'm not coming to help you. And then they feel bad. They don't want to leave you in bed. So... They come and help you, and then it's just a never-ending cycle of frustration with each other. So I don't like putting that on anybody. I kind of want to actually shift gears a little bit and ask about, like, relationships with caregivers. I think fundamentally it's hard for somebody without a disability to understand the dynamics of a caregiver relationship. Like, like they fundamentally just aren't in a position to understand, hey, I just met you. By the way, I need to go to the bathroom. Right. Yeah. Open up to somebody and trust them. Some of the younger ones I've had, they're like, I always thought you didn't like me. I was kind of scared. And um, I'm like, no, I just, I have a routine. And if they stick around, like if they understand, oh, this person has an anxiety and they, and I would be in the same position if I had to deal with somebody new coming into my house every week. So some that relate, I've gotten along great with. I'm still friends with a lot of my previous caregivers. They just had to move on because it's a way that the system's set up. It's not a career for a lot of people. It's not, that it doesn't pay well, the driving, the, with me, it's short shifts. I only need an hour most days in the morning and about an hour at night, but I'm doing the bare minimum just because I don't want people around all the time. I want to live my life, but there's just things that I need. So even if you wanted to have just a 10 minute shift because you just needed help getting in your chair or whatever, they're not going to come for just 10 minutes. The state won't pay them for an hour. Some states do. I have a friend in Wisconsin, and I believe that he has caregivers that come in, and no matter how long they're there, they pay a minimum of an hour, which I think would help. The largest struggle that I've had is similar is that, like, I have a job, and you know, I've, I've been in arguments with various agencies just to be like, look, you can't send people whatever you want. 
I need them for this amount of time, between this time and this amount of time. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I'm not here. I can't be flexible to you. I'm trying to live my life. And it's really a conflict when your personal care is only profitable after two hours at a time. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's not worth the caregiver's time and the agency's time to really send anybody for short shifts. So that's why it makes it real difficult for me. And the state even said I'm too independent. And I'm like, I don't know what you want because I there's certain things I will never be able to do. I just want people to come when I need them and when they call in sick and they're like, oh, well, we can get somebody there, but they can't be there until like 10 or 11. And I'm like, I got to go to work. So yeah, it's really frustrating when you're trying to actually have a life because a lot of home care agencies help a lot of people that don't leave the house a lot. So they assume, I don't know if they assume everybody doesn't leave the house, but it's easier when people don't because then they can send them whenever they want. And I get so annoyed with trying to figure out just caregivers when I just want to go to work and go hang out with friends. Oh, and then I have to be home for curfew so that I can be put to bed. Tell me a little bit more about your curfew. Well, I have to be home by 930 so that we can do my nighttime cares. We do it for an hour. That's a half hour housekeeping and then a half hour of getting me into bed and things like that because it doesn't take long. But I fill the hour because you have to fill the hour. It would be more ideal if I could hire a college student or somebody that lives nearby that stays up late, they just pop over and help me. But I mean, a lot of them don't even say it's worth the time for just an hour visit. So do you prefer staying up late then? Yeah, I'm more of a night person. I hate mornings. So that's why having new caregivers all the time drives me nuts. I have too much anxiety to deal with training somebody all the time. I trained 40 to 50 people in a two-year time span because I was with four different agencies. And... One agency wanted to train a whole bunch of people just so we had a plan. And then after several months, they said, well, your cares are too medical because basically CDAC agencies do a lot of housekeeping and grocery shopping and errand running and stuff. So those girls were like, I want to go with this person to do this because it's easier than showering Shelly. And if I go shower Shelly, I have to be there right at eight. And sometimes, you know, life happened They with their kids or them or something. So the agency got overwhelmed and just said, we can't help you any longer. Your cares are too medical. And they always say, we just can't meet your needs. And yeah, I've had four 30-day notices. The first one did happen before the Medicaid changes, but... It was right before, and that was because my main caregiver of five years, she had to leave because she couldn't even take a week off to have surgery. There's not a lot of options. So when the CCO system pays less than what they get at the agency, how am I supposed to find help if the agencies can't even find help? So the best way for somebody like me is to use an agency. The problem is with CDAC agencies, it's typically not the skilled care. And so the caregivers don't, expect to be coming in and doing showers and stretches and things that they've never been trained to do. One agency is known for like three years that I've needed somebody three days a week for a shower, but it was the one that dumped me first and they don't want to take me back on because if that person quits, they have no backup plan. So they just, they prefer not to help uh, quad. So I don't blame them for wanting to do the other stuff. If they're getting paid the same for both things, it's really hard to like justify doing the one that's not nearly as simple, I guess. Yeah. 
And I don't blame them at all because I am more particular. Especially after the first year of my injury, I had two pressure sores on the backs of my heels because they were swollen so bad and the caregivers grinded those shoes on my feet. So I tell each caregiver, be careful. They'll be like, why is this person easier to take care of than you? So you're constantly explaining things. This is why I'm picky. This is why I'm so anxious about things. And this is why you can't put that out of my reach because... I'm not going to see somebody until nine o'clock, nine 30 tonight. So you put that out of my reach. I can't use that all day or I got to call my parents. So I'm constantly calling my parents for little things that you don't think about. And they're not getting paid to do that. So they're already unpaid caregivers. So don't make them have to shower me. A weird quirk that I have is like the drink has to be on the left side of my plate. I'll stop sort of like, no, I need to move this over here. And, and that's weird for most people, but if it's not there, it's in the way of my controller. I've also gotten to a point in my life where, like, I refuse to apologize for anything that I need. You're a guy. I'm a girl. I get called the B word. I don't want to help her. She's rude. And it happens. And it's funny because I'll have do the same thing with two different caregivers and one will think that and the next one won't. So it's like, what do you do? My dad's like, you have to be nicer to people. You can't be scaring them off. There's no options here. You have to take what you get. And now he's kind of realized that it's not just me. You know, everybody, people that understand know you have a bad day. It's not that I'm evil, but it's hard though. Like, cause I, I have noticed that some guys, get a little more leeway than the girls. It actually doesn't surprise me. Guys can be rewarded for being assertive in a lot of ways. Um, it's not always the same way the other way around. Yeah. You've been in a chair for 14 years, correct? So you had a lot of experience with personal care mm -hmm. and CDAC before MCOs and then experience after. Mm -hmm. um, so. I kind of wanted to know if there's been a difference. Luckily, we heard about the waiver system when I was in the hospital, and my dad got me signed up right away. So I probably got on it by 2006 or seven. So that was about the time Consumer Choice came came around. I got on that. The system worked great. Um, even my boyfriend at the time was getting paid. I was able to save up for some nice things um, for my old house because it wasn't as accessible. And I was able to pay uh, my roommate um, it was working for me and then it wasn't. And in 2011, uh, the state said, why do you have these people doing your cares when you have an agency? And I went from the second tier of the waiver, about $2,600 to $900. At the time, my DHS worker didn't really explain a lot to me and I didn't know what I was able to get, not get. So we went through the appeal process and she didn't really help. She always told me, I'm just your service worker. I have over 200 clients. I don't do that. Um, um, I'm, you know, basically overworked and I'm like, okay, but I don't know how to work the system. And because my agency didn't want to do nights and weekends because it was hard for them to find staff. That's when 2015, when my caregiver quit, they said, okay, this is a good time to cut her services, I guess. They, they gave me the 30 days notice. So this was right before the MCOs. So I would say between 2011 and 2015, you know, I didn't really have the case manager help that I didn't know I could get. So my first experience with them was good. And my second was okay. And then they kept moving people further away. Jasper County, Des Moines, when there's an office in Ames, but they don't do adult cases. 2015, I lost my first agency. I didn't know that could happen. Scrambled to get one to take me on. They finally, they took me on. And that's about the time the, the MCO started. So I got a case manager through, the, I was with United since the beginning. And she was all right. And then she got a different job. So then they brought in a new one. She had some social work experience, but she 
didn't really know much about the waivers. This was the time I was getting dropped from my second agency. The CDAC agency that then took on my cares, you know, they were going from like six hours a week to all my cares, which is about 25. And they said, we'll do it. But we haven't been paid for four months. She tells me this right when they're signing the contract. And I'm like, oh, you need to make sure they're paid. And she, the case manager says, well, have you contacted this? I said, you need to contact this and make sure they get paid because I can't lose my services. And that's your job to make sure my services needs are met. And she was just real like, whatever about it. And so I said, I need a new case manager. So then they brought me in another case manager and she was a little bit more informed, but it just, I went through seven case managers with United. I was with four agencies trying to cover just about 25 hours a week. And um, I was told by United that I couldn't get an exception to policy because people were like, oh, you got to get an exception to policy, but they don't like to do them. They don't do them. They might do them. I kept hearing all these mixed, mixed things. So United said, no, we don't do those. So I said, I'll give AmeriGroup a try because they've been around. It took a month to get a case manager. So once I got her, after calling the ombudsman, I got her, like, within an hour, they got me one. Um, so the ombudsman did a great job of getting me one. And in the first month, I kept asking her about the exception to policy. Well, she wouldn't show me anything she had in writing. She said, we've talked with higher-ups to try to make sure that you've exhausted all the possibilities of your waiver. I'm like, well, this is going to save money. I've talked to three different people at Amerigroup before I got her. And I talked to the ombudsman, and I'm like... I would save money if you gave me an exception to policy because I wouldn't use as much agency services, but my caregivers would then get paid a higher rate is all I was asking for. They're like, yeah, that, you know, that makes sense. But then they come and they do this 30 page review or whatever. And they sent that in. That was my exception to policy. I got a letter. It was dated September 6th. They said it was in the mail on Friday. Then when I got the letter in the mail the next week, like the next Friday, I believe it was dated September 11th. So they lied to me. It wasn't sent out to five days later from when they sent it. And it had didn't say anything about what I was asking for. So we're still asking people, what did you submit? Oh, we submitted your care plan. Okay. Well, where did you put in the pay rates that I was asking for? And she says, your care plan says that your needs are being met. I'm like, how do you figure? Especially because I told my case manager, I would prefer to have showers every day. So there, right there, my cares aren't being met according to the, what I would like. So they're just talking in circles and I, so I'm working with disability rights because they never went to DHS with the exception of policy and that's who makes the decision. All I'm asking is that my caregivers get more money. I don't even need the whole waiver. Some waivers have better pay rates. It's, it's a different type of service, but it's called supported community living. And I think helping me to get to work is supported community living. They're supporting me to live in the community. So why do not, why do I not qualify for that? You know, and, um, but, you know, I don't understand the whole system, but if that pays better and the, the cares can be similar, why, why can I not get that service? And respite pays better, but I don't qualify for respite because my caregiver is through an agency. And respite is technically giving your caregiver a break so they would be doing the same services as my caregiver. So why do they get paid more and not my caregivers? And then I just see a lot of other services provided to help people to work. Well, my services help me to work, so why are they not paid better? You know, if I can't get the care, I can't go to work. If I get care, I could work more, you know, it, and if the system let me save money, you know. It's hard to keep good caregivers. Yeah. 
if they're not getting compensated enough to stick around. Definitely. If my caregivers were paid better, I could find more caregivers and they'd stick around longer because um, the unemployment rate in Ames is less than 2%. 2%. So a lot of agencies are like, we don't know why we can't find help in Ames, but we have no problems finding help here and here and here. But you can go work at Target for 13 bucks an hour. And I think it's a harder job to be a caregiver because you have to learn the person's routine. You have to deal with the person's attitude. You know, if they had better pay, they, I think all around it'd be better. Thank you for listening to the Upgrade Medicaid podcast. If you would like to learn more or get involved, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or at UpgradeMedicaid.com. Stay tuned for our next episode, and remember, only together can we upgrade Medicaid.